It's the Feckin' Check-In Show. Welcome to the Feckin' Check-In Show. It's the Feckin' Check-In Show. Welcome to the Feckin' Check-In Show. It's the Feckin' Check-In Show. Feckin' Check-In, Feckin' Check-In Show. It's the Feckin' Check-In Show. Welcome to the Feckin' Check-In Show. Show. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the Feckin' Check-In. My name is Trainer, and with me as always is my co-host Toomey. And we're recording on a Tuesday evening, which is very unusual for us. How are you doing on this Tuesday evening, Toomey? Yeah, okay. I've I've had my dinner. Uh, I feel re-energized. Um, sometimes we record at 5pm uh, just after work. I work uh, usually 8 to 4 and it takes me 45 minutes or so to get home. And then I've, I've recorded with you a few times at 5pm. And I realize compared to 8 p.m., I'm much more stressed at 5 p.m. I'm much more uh, busy in my head, whereas now I've had time to settle into the evening. And uh, yeah, so that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> okay. Trail off there. Uh, what are your experience? What are your views on, on recording at uh, 8 p.m. or 5 p.m.? Well, this is going to touch on one of the topics that we intend to discuss later in the second check in. But I, I was working late this evening, so I only just kind of finished work. And I feel like I probably should do some more after this, which is a horrible place to be. But um, I took a day off yesterday and there's no such thing as a fucking day off, you know, when you're 34 and you have a job with responsibilities because when you come back you have twice as much work to do <laughs> on the day you come back yeah. uh which is always a pain but that's where i am at the moment so i won't i wouldn't have been able to work or sorry to do this at five so uh we, yeah eight o'clock is good you'd have to question is it worth the day off on those circumstances sometimes i know and then a, one day can kind of be worse than taking a week because nobody's covering for you on that day you know it's just like ah, oh, yeah when you get back in on tuesday you know you can catch up and those are always very stressful days so i've just had one of those yeah yeah i've done that myself um and you're also very busy with the new podcast feckin metal which has got off to a flyer uh, especially episode two yeah yeah the numbers have been really good for episode two featuring kyle mcneil from seven sisters who also composed the theme music um but I've done episode three as of yesterday. I'll, I'll announce it now. I recorded with Nesbitt from Talking Maiden, or previously from Talking Maiden, now uh, from the Night Demon Heavy Metal podcast. And um, weirdly, this is coming out after that episode is launched. We've done that thing again. Yeah. <laughs> so you're announcing it, it now. But the episode will be up for three days by the time people have heard this. Yeah. Well, fuck it. You know, there's, you know, there's nothing we can do about that. But uh, yeah, I just recorded with him yesterday. It was a great episode. I really enjoyed it. Uh, we, we discussed this. If you haven't listened to it, you can listen to it after listening to this. Uh, we discussed his top five hard rock and heavy metal albums ever and i limited him to one per artist so um he gave me five different albums from five different artists and it was good it was a good episode i'm really looking forward to launching that uh, on friday on the um what are we now on the 25th it's a good conversation topic actually i i wonder uh i, I can imagine sorry uh being socializing with people imagine that <laughs> and using that as a conversation piece uh, to get people to come up with their top five and then it has to be from different artists i think that's a nice little twist on it as well so yeah so i wanted to get him on because just in general i enjoy chatting to him about music and we'd often be back and forth on whatsapp about music and stuff and uh but i didn't want to focus solely on iron maiden obviously because that's what we did on the feckin check-in episode or we focused on talking maiden the podcast so i thought i needed to put in some kind of condition to make us talk about other bands and other things as well so it worked quite well yeah, very good. Very good. Um, okay, so that is our little intro. I will uh, spare the listener a wedding update or COVID-19 related anecdote for this week. I might come back to them 
next week. Um, should we get on into the feckin' check-in? Yeah, let's fire straight on into it. So, uh, F for this week, Toomey. Let the listener know, what is the funny observation of this week? F for funny observation. It comes from my own uh, observation. I was walking uh, at lunchtime in my place of work in Dublin West, and I was just walking around, and I saw loads of kids in uniforms. And it it was a bit startling. It was just, it was a bit like, oh, uniforms. I forgot about them because the, the kids are just back from uh, uh, the, the break over the summer. So these were secondary school children in their mid-teens. And I was looking at the... Uh, the uh, girls' uniforms. You can't. It's <laughs> a genuine point. This isn't a, a weird. <laughs> I was looking at, and I was thinking, uh, it's a pretty cold day. Um, they have skirts and they have socks and yeah. they have lots of their the the leg in the middle showing. And I I wasn't thinking of it in in terms of oh they're showing leg or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of it in terms of they must be pretty cold there. And then I was thinking like when when they get into the winter, what like. They have to wear these skirts, but they, they, the socks only goes just above your knee because if a sock goes higher than that, then it's going to fall down. So you're always going to have that part of your leg exposed, unless, of course, you have a very long skirt. And I was just the, the, the girls in the uniforms are just walking around cold all the time for like it's grand maybe at the start of the year and the end of the year when it's uh, summer. Um, but in December or January, uh, I wonder what that's like. Can you relate? I, I can relate, but I, I'd say it's shite, all right. Yeah, I'd say it'd be very cold. And it is It is kind of it's mad to think that in 2020, a lot of schools are still imposing uh, formal um, skirts on women just because they're women, just because of their gender. Yeah. <laughs> women wear skirts and do housework and, and all that. I wonder, is it mandatory still or do they get the choice to wear longs, shall we say? Yeah, I, I think some schools have allowed women to start wearing trousers now because I, I came across an article on it there recently. I didn't read the whole thing, but it was talking about this very topic about how girls or women are still uh, are required to wear skirts in a lot of schools. And it's such a dated concept. Um, and in real life, maybe none of them wear skirts at all ever. You know, I mean, who knows if they ever if, if they own <laughs> <Yeah>. any bloody skirts. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is mad. And at school uniforms in general, like they're. They are kind of strange when you think about it. There, there were always schools kind of more forward thinking or liberal schools that didn't require a uniform. I remember I when I was in primary school, I had a friend who went to Docky School Project. He never had to wear a uniform to school. Um, and I always thought that was, you know, I, 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 radical. I, yeah, radical. And, I, you know, when the grass is always greener, you're like, oh, I'd love not to have to wear this uniform. And the fact that most uniforms are so gaudy and disgusting in color as well, like, green and gray or like red or the, the school jumpers are often horrific looking things mm. and um miss gibson once said that she was delighted that she had to wear a uniform when she was going to school uh because it it uh made it that she didn't have to choose clothes to wear every day so there is that side of it i guess yeah, there is that side of it. And actually thinking about that now, you've just reminded me, I remember feeling a lot of stress and pressure on uh, non-uniform days. Uh, in the build up to the day, you'd be planning what you were going to wear and you'd be going, oh, my clothes are all shit. Uh, I don't have any cool clothes <laughs> or any branded clothes. So there was a lot of pressure, I suppose, and stress. Um, and, and there's always this thing like it's the cost imposed on parents. They'd have to come up with five outfits a week for their child. And then the child would be concerned about not wearing something 
close together, like, you know, same outfit that they wore only just recently and that type of stuff. So I can see the pros for it, but it seems like the world is moving in a different direction uh, lately. Uh, people are looking at established things and going, but why? Why do we have to do that? Um, is there Wait, any logical why? reason? Wait, why? <laughs> It'll come mm. up later. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that makes me think about the future. Where do you think that the uniform future will be in 10 years' time? Will How long will... Girls in particular accept wearing these weird skirts and socks combo with the leg, the knee exposed in the middle of winter. Uh, how long will they accept this? And is it because, is it an Irish thing that it's uh, tied to the Catholic Church in some way? Um, I don't know. I didn't do any research on this. <laughs> <laughs> Probably is. Blame the Catholic Church. Catholic Church. Uh, although I am getting married in a Catholic Church. <laughs> In a few weeks, you couldn't uh, resist, could you? So a little uh, <laughs> couldn't resist doth, bringing up the doth, wedding. Doth my hat to uh, the priests, the priests, priests plural involved. Um, yes, that's right. Two priests. Are there going to be two priests? Uh, well, I re- we rented out the uh, the a church priest. from one priest <laughs> to the tune to the tune of five hundred euro to the tune of, uh, and we have to pay another priest to do the mass. Well, How much does uh, that set you back? They, um, it's, it's, they don't tell you how much, but it's probably about 300. Oh, it's a, do- a donation type of thing. Is donation it? type of thing where it's All not right. specified, but you, and you have to ask people in the know what's an appropriate amount to give. Right. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, I never, I didn't know how that worked. Obviously I had a civil ceremony for my own. Um, okay. But yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> side point there about blaming the Catholic church for school uniforms. <laughs> yeah. Uh, probably, probably was them the fucking sleazy gets making the women wear shirts or skirts. <laughs> <laughs> probably was them. But, uh, uh yeah, we doff our hats to them because they're, uh, et cetera. Anyway, we'll get out of that. Uh, the final thing I want to point I wanted to make about uniforms is remember the thrill of wearing an all black uniform in fifth and sixth year? That was great, yeah, because the school we went to had an all gray uniform uh, for all years up until the time just before we went into our final two years of fifth and sixth year. And then in fifth and sixth year, we, we got to wear black trousers and a black jumper and a white shirt. And it was probably the nicest school uniform around, actually. We were quite lucky. It was, yeah. It was. It was very, very uh, um, sleek, almost. Mm. And I, met, I remember the, uh, I think it was the fifth and sixth years above us for the first time, they just went into school with these black uniforms. And we're like, what the fuck is this? This is actually pretty good i'm looking forward to that yeah yeah it was a lot better than the gray thing horrible looking gray disgusting yeah. looking jumpers that we used and to even have to wear. and even gray wouldn't have been the worst you have your grays you have your horrible greens blue the Clooney one was was absolutely awful blue uh, and then light blue socks for the girls <laughs> rat yeah. down school was a green jumper and a skirt sorry i don't want to talk about all the, the uh girls ones <laughs> Uh, uh, Oatlands College all grey I think Clash to Own all grey I've seen a lot of uh, ones in our locality lads ones with uh, red jumper and sort of black I think Cyan Hill had a red one did they? Yeah I think so Uh, Cabin Teeley Community School were they? uh, Green horrible looking green thing green jumper horrible green yeah (laughs) yeah so so that's it that's (laughs) it That's a funny observation of the week. School uniform. Brand.
uh, alright that's probably enough of that um, what are we moving on to next we're done we're, what are next blah, blah, blah. what are we <laughs> <laughs> what are we moving on to next what we're going to talk about next is Netflix and uh, an observation that I had while I was watching Netflix recently so um, recently started watching Narcos which was obviously or Narcos whatever however you pronounce it uh, which was released five years ago and it dawned on me that the luxury of Netflix obviously is you know you pay your subscription uh, every month and you don't even think about it at this stage but in your back pocket you have all these excellent dramas that you can store up for when you want to watch a new series and and it is a great service like it it's definitely represents value for money and i was just thinking how like you know you sit there and you, you peruse through the titles available to you the series and the films and it reminded me actually of of being in a video shop and i know that's a term that you don't use <laughs> Well, just to explain to the listener, you're were, you were introducing this topic to me over WhatsApp and you left a couple of messages and you used the word, the term video shop several occasions during the message. And to me, it was the first time I'd heard that phrase. Um, really? Uh, yeah. Video shop. You were using it so freely as if it was an established term. <laughs> I'd say that I'm it like, is. Maybe, maybe it is. I would often say to my brother, did you, did you, do you want to go up to the video shop or like, will we get a video from the video shop? <laughs> but. I guess it's just me. Maybe the listener can write in to the feckin' check in at gmail.com or the follower can contact us on Twitter to clarify. Yes, and just to confirm, it's just feckin' check in at gmail.com. There's no death, just in case anyone is sending emails and getting uh, <laughs> getting those uh, undeliverable notices. It's probably happening all the time. It's an um, spam folder, yeah. But yeah, anyway, the video shop, it reminded me it reminded me of perusing the titles in a video shop. I'm just going to keep saying it because that's what I say. Um, Fair enough. And then it just kind of brought back good memories of going up to ExtraVision when you were a youngster and choosing a video for a Saturday night. And I remember we didn't get an actual VCR player until much later, probably than a lot of other people had them. It was maybe 92 around then. And I would have been about seven, six or seven years old. And I remember some of the first films we rented, like one was Edward Scissorhands and another one was Sister Act. And like every <laughs> single film was brilliant. It didn't matter what it was. You just were so happy to be watching a film. And my point is, is that while Netflix is excellent for drama, there's not really a good selection of older films. And I'm talking about films that are, let's say, older than 20 years. So maybe from 2000 uh, and further back than that. If I want to go and watch something like Rare Window, for example, a classic uh, Alfred Hitchcock film, if it's not on Netflix, I can't really watch it. I can go onto YouTube and I can look it up and I can actually rent it for three ninety nine. But when you're talking about the cost of three ninety nine to rent it on YouTube versus my eleven euro Netflix subscription, which gives me an entire month of watching whatever I want, it doesn't really represent good value for money. And it got me thinking that uh, I don't know if this exists, but I don't think it does because I haven't heard of it. I I think that there is a gap in the market for a streaming service that just focuses on classic films. So let's say from two thousand and earlier than that, um, because there's such a lack of them on Netflix. So I did a quick Google before I went. Um, I came on the podcast with you tonight and in Netflix US there's only 3,781 films now that sounds like quite a lot but if you're looking through Netflix itself I find those are always quite heavily weighted towards recent films a lot of them are commissioned for Netflix you know they're not necessarily good quality films a lot of those made for Netflix ones and it's much more heavily weighted towards recent releases in the last 10-15 years or even in the last five years and if you want to go watch like a good 70s 80s 90s action horror drama film they're just 
so so difficult to find and it, there doesn't seem to be anywhere that's providing this and it, it's something that i would love to have available if somebody came out with a, a 10 euro per month streaming service that just offered these types of films the ones that like amazon prime and netflix aren't picking up um i think that would be i think that'd be a great idea i, I don't know maybe maybe it's been um investigated by people and maybe they don't think there's any money in it but to me that's something i would absolutely love sometimes you don't want to commit to a, a, a drama that has four seasons and 10 episodes per season you just want the two hour you just want to watch conan the barbarian or, something like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or just just like good movies like i've been on netflix a lot of the time a lot of times and like you're right like you just see a lot of the recent movies and like uh, heavily promoted movies like there's something you can't quite put your finger on it's just lacking a certain type of movie like and as you said it's like those kind of more classic drama like terminator one terminator two even just just coming to me now um just yeah those like when we used to go to extra vision or any video shop at the time um there was a thrill there was the new releases you go in and it was such a, a buzz you go in and get the new releases and sometimes the new release would be sold out um but then you'd go to the uh, the older stock and there was a, there was like categorized in different um genres and stuff and in each genre it was always you'd always find something that was interesting or yeah. something that was classic or a good quality movie like where netflix seems to be more weighted towards he- heavily marketed tripe Exactly, and reading the descriptions of them, uh, if you do a quick IMDb search on a lot of them, and I know I was giving out about star ratings in the last episode, but one thing about IMDb is, um, and Paul from the Silver Screamers podcast actually wrote this on our Twitter, uh, that at least it's a cumulative rating from a large number of reviews, so you can kind of tell if if it's you know something that you might be interested in if it has like a 7.8 overall rating but a lot of these films on netflix are are woefully rated like they're just not good quality films they're cheaply made and cheaply produced and they don't even have any recognizable actors in them a lot of the time so i i have vivid memories of, of being in um extra vision and looking at the horror section for example and just picking up the video cases and going oh jesus this looks absolutely brilliant looking at the, the box the artwork and there were so many classic films um and when i got a bit older i rented like a lot of these films and they just i don't get the same buzz from netflix because it seems like a lot of the stuff is just low budget cheap not very good you know and, uh, and there's mm. nothing i really want to watch when it comes to films except for the very odd time you might encounter something like the truman show or we were talking the other week about the witches or something like it seems to be a big event almost if a classic film that people actually think is good is all of a sudden available on netflix um but there's a, a lack of them in general yeah that's juxtaposed with the ability to get crap on tap it's like you turn on the netflix tap and out comes crap <laughs> um, and I think there's something about art in general that if something is plentiful then you you tend to devalue it like I feel like with Spotify um, that music all the music is at your fingertips but because it's there because there's no effort or journey in getting the music or having a connection with a lot of the artists you just I tend to anyway devalue it and it's the same with Netflix and movies like watching a movie now is not on, on a Friday or Saturday is not an event when we went to the video shops and, and went and per- picked out a video and committed to that and looked forward to that, brought it home. There was always like a journey in that, like, and then you, you watch it and it could be crap or it could be good, but you'd, you'd kind of commit to it. Now it's just like watching a movie for me anyway, on Netflix is almost like a hassle. It's almost like something you, you fit in. So that sense of occasion around it is, is gone. <laughs> 
I yeah, don't know if you've felt like that. I, I do have similar feelings, yeah. And also the reason why I long for the inclusion of more classic films is because you know it's going to be good. <laughs> that, that's like, mm. there's less <laughs> of an investment in it then because if you're watching just something that was released last year and it was made for Netflix, there's a high chance that that's not going to be any good really. And if, if, you, if you're going back and you're perusing older films that are like films maybe that you now are good you just never have watched that's the type of stuff that i'd be looking for and what i find myself yeah. actually doing is going and watching films that i've already seen that happen to be on netflix so in recent months i've watched goodfellas misery uh, reservoir dogs because they're all available but like i'd love to have the choice of loads of other films from that that era that i never got around to watching that have been on my list or in the back of my mind and i just can't find anything like that yeah like good movies <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah yeah, I got I got what you're saying there. Like, I think there is a market for higher quality. Like, it's almost like a f- um, the way I'd see it is like um, a Netflix style streaming service selected by a movie critic or a movie expert. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'd love to see something with like loads of the like gangster movies from like the 30s and 40s and loads of old westerns and things that I just haven't watched that I know I'd love or like the film noirs from like the 50s there's like almost none of that on Netflix and like you know you know you're going to enjoy it because it's a classic film you just haven't gotten around to watching it yet there must be a market for that mm. well you heard it here first on the feckin check-in and if you want to finance a trainer to start a business in classic uh, movie streaming you can write into the feckinchecking.com. No, <laughs> feckinchecking at gmail.com. Just to clarify, it's just feckinchecking at gmail.com. <laughs> There's no there. Yes, if you want to finance feckin film, which will be my new streaming service. <laughs> feckin films. Your new podcast coming out next week. <laughs> Okay, so we're moving on now on the feckin' check-in. We're flying along this week. Uh, we're moving on to the culture point. And Toomey, why don't you let the listener know what the culture point is for this week? The culture point, I believe, is to do with clock watching. Am I correct? Clock watching, yeah. <laughs> clock watching. And this is uh, a phrase that's used for people who watch the clock uh, when they are working. Um, and uh, I can't remember exactly what the point we were going to make about this was, to be honest. Will you lead us out on this one, trainer? So this is a friend of ours who mentioned, a uh, friend of ours, we're not taking a dig at him, but it's a friend of ours, Mark, who appeared on an episode uh, a few months ago. And he mentioned that a guy in his job is a bit of a clock watcher. Um, and I think both you and me took exception to the term because it insinuates, like, so this guy was going home at 5 p.m., which was his scheduled finish time in work and it insinuates that there's something wrong with leaving work at 5 p.m if your working hour or working day finishes at 5 p.m uh, like it's a, it's a negative term you know somebody who's watching the clock and leaves on time as if that's something bad and i think both of us at the time took exception to it <laughs> and, uh, i was shocked <laughs> yeah. and it, 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 uh, it was a bit of a sore point for me because <laughs> i don't think there's anything wrong with leaving work at the time that you're supposed to work until that's what they're paying you for that's what you get your salary for and to put a negative term on people who do that i think that's unfair and i think it's uncalled for and especially if that person has a family or 
even their own personal life that they value more than work or more or a similar level to work where they've made the decision not to place work over their personal life then they're kind of being um yeah slagged off for that or kind of um looked down on for that whereas yeah why would you do why would you stay an extra amount of time in work when you're not being paid for that like you should work the contracted hours and get as much as you can done in those contracted hours unless you're really passionate about it like if you're an entrepreneur and you're really passionate about some something that you've created and you give your life and soul to it like that's different but if you're like in a job that you you kind of think is okay then i think clock watching is the natural uh kind of um human reaction Uh, yeah i think so as well and I mentioned that earlier there that I was working late this evening and uh, that's something I do from time to time, certainly not something I do by default, um, but I work in a company and I'm on a project where a lot of people will work late into the evening and on Saturdays. And to me, like I've done that before on a previous project because there was a lot of work to be done in a particular period of time and they asked us basically if we would be willing to work extra hours. There was no mention of any extra pay at the time. Um, So we did, a lot of us did because, you know, they were stuck and whatever and worked till 8pm in the evening and came in a few Saturdays and everything. And uh, everyone ended up getting sick <laughs> and like uh, really like stressed, le- lethargic, sick. And everybody got this kind of fluey type thing and everyone was really run down. And I just promised myself that I'd never allow myself to do that again as a general habit of just working late for the sake of it because I've been asked and I remember years ago I worked on a different project for the same company and there was a a man who worked on it and he was he was a fountain of knowledge and he always said very snappy and wise things and uh, he used to go home at four o'clock but he started early in the day so he went home at four and he was a contractor as well he wasn't staff so contractors are usually people who will stay longer you know to keep up appearances and all that type of stuff and, and hope to win an extra contract down the line um but he used to go home at 4 p.m and I remember there was talk of working late on that project and he said, if you've been asked to work late once, then fine. If you've been asked to work late on a regular basis, then there is a fundamental issue with resourcing and no working late is going to fix that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and I I thought that was excellent because he's right. If, If everyone is required to work late constantly, that means they don't have enough staff. So get some more staff and that will fix that issue. And there's always talk of budgets then and things like that, but squeezing every drop of life out of your core people is not sustainable uh getting another staff member and sucking up the cost is, is far more, mis- more far more sustainable than making everybody work late yeah definitely um yeah <laughs> get more staff in there uh i was gonna make a slight, slightly different point um about uh people who take shits and work um okay so <laughs> to expand the clock watching so I think clock watching is is really you have a certain amount of you clock in in the morning and you clock out in the evening at the cer- at specific times so you have to be there for a certain amount of time so you're you're actually you're filling up the time no matter how busy you are or how productive you are you're there for a specific amount of time mm. but so you have a lunch hour or a half an hour whatever it is you might have a break in the in the morning or the afternoon or maybe both um but you're really kind of relishing those breaks but there's a loophole as well, and yeah. that is the human shit. <laughs> when you do a shit, it doesn't count as a break. It doesn't count as lunch, but it's another time to, it's another occasion where you can eat into your, your designated time. And 
worksheets. <laughs> Shout out to Dara Agnew who brought who brought this up on the the WhatsApp. By the way, uh, worksheets are often the most satisfying of shits. <laughs> okay. uh, especially if you if uh, you uh, you're not under time pressure. If you're at home, you're eating into your personal time with with a shit. I don't want to be too vulgar. graphic to the listener here or too um, explicit. Yeah. Uh, there's a certain you know you're beating the system basically when you're doing a worksheet have you uh, any thoughts on that so I, I i i think it's strange that people think it's even a topic like if i needed to go for a shit and work i'd just go for one i, I wouldn't think twice about it I, I, all these like I, i've heard people saying oh getting paid for doing a shit or oh i'm doing shit and work it's like I don't even think about it. I just if, if nature calls, I just do it. And our friend was actually saying that he never does, as his policy was never to go to the toilet. I'm going to stop saying work shit. Yeah. His, his policy was never to do a number two, <laughs> a poop and work. It's too, you can't take it back now, Tim. You're in too deep. No, no. And uh, no, he, his policy was never to do it. And it's just, it was so surprising to me that uh, he, this was a revelation for him. To, to go for a shit. I've been doing it for, for years, neon decades. Well, as I'm making the most of the work shit. Oh, well, yeah. As I said, it just if nature calls, I'll go for it. I don't care where I am. McDonald's, uh, Centra that has a toilet in it, work, or, you know, just a street. No, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> but no, if I'm anywhere with a toilet, I'll just go for one. I don't, I've, not, I've never seen the issue with any of that. Like, unless the place was absolutely horrible or something like that. But then I wouldn't, you know. But like, it doesn't matter to me if I'm in work or if I'm not in work. Or I don't even think of the oh, like I'm in work. Ooh, I'm eating into my time. But I, I think it, it's only like it's only a thrill because of the clock watching society in work or the clock watching culture. Oh, get you okay. It only becomes a, a thing that you note because you're trying to fill up the time. Whereas uh, to bring it back to clock watching and make it more philosophical and highbrow, uh, maybe this will change in the future because we're all working from home and there isn't there's already uh, like well I'm not working from home but us in general are working from home us as a human race i suppose well it even that's yeah got myself into a bit of a corner there uh the point i was going to make <laughs> is that there's less emphasis on clock watching at home because nobody is watching what you're doing at home so that that phrase clock watching is almost going to become redundant because it's going to be more focused on productivity and reaching goals getting certain parts of work done like and some people will be able to do that in in three hours, and it might take another person five hours. And I think the person who does it in three hours should be rewarded for their efficiency, uh, because no one's going to be looking over your shoulder. Yeah, it will definitely focus more on productivity. And one of the things that I what that um, bothered me about the phrase clock watching, which I'd never actually heard before until that time, uh, was the fact that there's almost an expectation on you to stay late regardless. Um, and I've definitely worked around people who stay late as a rule they don't ever leave on time they always stay at least an hour or two late and like th- i think that's bizarre because surely every single day you can't have more than a day's work to do like that, that's just not feasible so and maybe that speaks to your own inefficiency as well yeah but but i think in a lot of cases people stay late just for show and they stay late because they don't want to be the first one to leave or they want to be seen to still be there. And I think that's yeah. what a lot of it is. So the phrase clock watching to me is just uh, cover for nonsense staying late. <laughs> you know? And it shows that in that environment, there is a value placed on people who work late. And that, I presume, is regardless of their productivity 
measured in different ways. It's just, oh yeah, Mary stays late all the time. Yeah, regardless of what you're actually doing in that window between half five and half seven, if you're seen to be there, that's there's benefits in that for some for some people. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that will probably be reduced. I think actually Mark himself has said uh, that he sees it in like being based more on productivity and they could track people's kind of productivity using like uh, technology and things like that, which is a whole other thing. I don't know if that's good or bad, but um, yeah. Well, so if you give somebody well, a, a certain amount of work to do and then they get it done, like you said earlier, uh, as you said, nobody's looking over your shoulder. They don't know what you're doing between two and three. You could be having an hour break if you've got your work done. But if you get it yeah. done, then you get it done. Yeah. And then it's, it's almost like, let's say you give the same uh, body of work for people to do. And, so, and some people get it finished in three hours, say, should they be rewarded with just clocking off and just going home or going out for a walk or something <laughs> or going out for lunch, finishing up their work day. Like, I wonder will that, that will that become the future? It might be hard to regulate, I suppose, but maybe there'll just be blind eyes turned rather than an official regulation of, well, you can finish at three. You can't, <laughs> you can stay to you, whatever, you know? Um, yeah. All right. All right. Okay. That is clock watching. I'm not sure what kind of accent that was. Uh, <laughs> Scottish it was a Segway accent it was a mixture of Scottish Welsh and I think it's a slight bit of American in there Okay, uh, so we're going to move on to the final section of the podcast, which is the kernel of truth. Um, so this kernel is from kernel, kernel, kernel from me, and it's to do with uh, how you classify your friends. Um, so I'm going to give another shout out to Mark Cullen here because um, <laughs> uh, he got on to me after um, the last episode and he was saying thanks for the shout out. And he was like, I'm glad I made it into the friends category and not some random acquaintance who fucked off to Canada. Um, So we had a previous discussion on an earlier episode about how loosely people use the term friends. And I was saying I don't use it that loosely. Um, You'd have to meet certain criteria for me criteria for me to consider you to be a friend whereas a lot of some other people like a friend to everyone is a friend to no one, I think was the uh, piece of uh, the kernel of truth on that week's episode. But uh, I was thinking to myself then, obviously we me and you have a very close group of friends that go back many years. And there's a, as we've discussed, there's a shared history there. So that's like our lads group, our main lads group, which has 10 people in it. So they're all lifelong friends. And that, I'll put those aside for one second. But I was thinking, what, how would I categorize friends I've made in adulthood, maybe since the age of 25? And there's a few people in that category. Or maybe since the age of 20, let's say, since we left school. And um, I was trying to think how I would classify it. Because there are there is a distinction between like work colleagues, uh, associates, acquaintances and then actual friends and i was thinking back to wait but why again uh, the blog that i've referenced previously by tim urban and he has a friendship measurement test that he uses and this is it so it's called uh, the traffic test so he basically Ooh. says uh, i enjoy spending time with most of my friends that's why they're my friends but with certain friends the time is so high quality so interesting and so fun that they pass the traffic test so what is the traffic test? The traffic test is passed when I'm finishing up a hangout, he's American, uh, with someone, and one of us is driving the other back home or back to 
or back to their car and I find myself rooting for traffic. That's how much I'm enjoying my time with them. Passing the traffic test says a lot. It means I'm lost in the interaction, invigorated by it, and that I'm the complete opposite of bored. So he's basically on his journey home, dropping his friend home or whatever, and he's hoping that there's more traffic so that the conversation in the car can last even longer. Um, mm. And I don't drive personally, so I don't have that um, to use as a test. But I was thinking myself, my definition of a friend, I'm talking about people I've made over the last few years, is somebody I would willingly go out for one-on-one pints with. And when the end of the evening comes it's a night that i don't want to finish basically so when it comes to last orders i'm disappointed so that's kind of how i would measure a friend now maybe some people might think that's a bit shallow because it involves alcohol but to me that's that's the only kind of comparison i can think to the traffic test but somebody i would deliberately arrange a one-on-one rendezvous with have a few points and then when the night is finishing i'm i'm disappointed and i wanted to go on longer uh what about you I think that's a really good way of looking at it. I think the one-on-one thing is is a is a good uh, concept. Um, if that was the definition, I probably have only like excluding our lifelong friends who were we kind of established by the the age of eighteen. So from the age of eighteen onwards, I've probably only made one friend. <laughs> really. <laughs> who passes that test okay. like I could I could say I've made lots of acquaintances and and groups of friends but probably Richard Cody is the only person I could go for a one-on-one thing and and just let the evening flow uh, like have drinks or play video games or or whatever um <clears throat> I've made a lot when I was um in my kind of uh, psychology circles um through studies and stuff I made a lot of female friends just because uh like a lot of the course like most of the course tended to be women like it was like 75 percent yeah and there was always a limitation about meeting them one-on-one because there was always that that underlying thing of them being a female of the opposite sex and me being a male of my sex (laughs) (laughs) so there was you were always like cautious about the underlying message about going for one-to-one pints with somebody and just letting it flow just because you know you know like you could have like loads of drinks and something could happen or whatever um so you tend not to put yourself in those situations um and then yeah i haven't um i guess i guess maybe there's actually a couple more maybe richard bradley is another person i would meet i would be comfortable meeting one on one and like just letting the the mm. light the night flow and a few other people i'm just thinking of males again um but yeah, there's very few new new people that, like I the the friends I tend to have met since the age of eighteen have been groups of friends. So it's it's those three people or from UCD or those three people from Southampton or whatever yeah. or those three people from Park Celtic who I see like you some a lot of friends I wouldn't see on my own, um and I certainly w- and if I did see a lot of those kind of newer friends there would be some sort of time limit or boundary on it in some way that it was it would be like a lunch or a pint that would end mm. at a certain time um so i think your your definition is good that's a very <laughs> long long-winded way of saying that i think it's like a, a true friend you actually you're very comfortable meeting them one-on-one and you're happy for the night to to flow on whether that be with drink or whatever yeah i was wondering if you had a similar measurement tool like i know you don't go out for points and things like that as much as i do but do you have any other means of determining who would be a a close friend obviously outside of the core group or not i don't know i don't really think about it too much because i guess i'm somebody who's content content with 
the friends that I have. I'm like, I have enough. I, it reminds me, I think it was a Seinfeld episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Jerry Seinfeld says, I think he says, we're f- I'm full. Like, yeah, I can't, yeah, yeah, we're not, I can't, we're not hiring at the moment. We're not hiring at the moment, yeah. yeah. That's what I feel like. Like, the other people that have come in and out, like, they, I just treat them as people who flit in and out and I enjoy their company a lot of time, but I never really thought of them as friends. And maybe that's, that's my uh limitation or my contentness with not making new friends um and there's also those factors to do with gender and things like that and the circles i've been in um but yeah it just hasn't really worked out and um in work it hasn't really worked out for me in terms of meeting a new friend. i'm not a loner by the way i do <laughs> like i get on well with people it's just like your work for example seems to be like over the years seems to be like really good socially i haven't had that in my work for for different reasons um yeah and and just one final point i would make is i'm not sure if you would say what's going to happen for me in the next 10 years would i be picking up a new friend <laughs> like a, a like in in your in your definition a new friend like that i don't know if i'd, I'd see that yeah, like, yeah again yeah. i'm i'm full I'm, I'm not hiring <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway yeah that's that's uh that's uh friends <laughs> <laughs> Friends, I thought you you might have more points than that, no? <laughs> Do I have any more? No, I'd, I'd say I have about six or seven people who've crept into that category over the last few years. A lot of them are work people. Um, but I made a kind of a point a few years ago of if I got along very well with somebody in work to make bi- a bit of more of an effort with them because I'd had a lot of people who came and went from my life um, maybe 10, uh, 8, 7 years ago and I could have developed friendships with them and I didn't bother putting in the effort and then those people just disappeared from your life so in the last few years I've I've made more of an effort with people I really do click with and I think it's it's worth it when you do because it expands your social circle and it gives you more options especially when everyone else is you know busy with their kids and wives and things like that you know if you have a wider circle and wider uh, options available to you it gives you more choice <laughs> i'm just rephrasing the same thing there many different times but uh no it's definitely better to have more options with friends and it's definitely like if you had the choice to advise any human being like is it better to make close friends throughout your life then <laughs> the answer is yes it's it's better to do that like the more friends you have like the more support you have the more options you have the less you're reliant on one group of friends like if you're over i i've found as i got older if you if you rely and expect too much from one group of friends in our case like older friends then you're not gonna you're not gonna get that and you're gonna be you're gonna be disappointed so it's just that that one group of friends can only offer us certain things like so especially older friends they you're friends with them based on who you were when you were younger whereas newer friends they they meet you completely when you're like let's say over 25 so it's a completely different conceptualization of yourself that they have so like they're obviously going to give you a different feedback and uh satisfaction i suppose than than your older friends they're different none is better than the other yeah and another thing that i I kind of feared when a few years ago was I, I think it happens to a lot of men that they gradually just lose their friends one by one as they get older because they don't maintain their relationships. And uh, I've seen it happen around me to certain people and it's something I would never like to happen to me. So um, because of this, I've chosen the song by Morrissey, who gets a lot of mentions on this podcast, uh, as the song of the week. And that nice song one. is called Hold <laughs> On To Your Friends. <laughs> it's quite transparent there. Nice one. Very good. Uh, yeah. Um, so so this is about holding on to your friends rather than than making new friends it's about 
yeah what 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 do you take from the song uh, i think there's just a couple of nice lines in it so he's saying um there's one point where he's like don't be so ashamed to have friends and i think that speaks to you know maintain those relationships there's nothing embarrassing about being dependent on somebody and being a friend of somebody even as an adult man um everybody needs that in their life so you know work on it and then he's like talking about uh how you might find fault with people but these are the people who'll die defending your name and you know just be careful about small falling outs and don't let them turn into uh something that lasts forever because that can happen too you might fall out about something quite small and then all of a sudden you're you're bitter and you hold that for years and you lose that friend that that's happened to me as well in the past so uh, it's something i'm quite conscious of forgive and forget type of thing as well like especially with people who you you do really value that friendship yeah you got to maintain those friendships and not to harp on about the wedding but i'm just uh so delighted that all all my lifelong friends are going to be there it just it means so much and that it like things like weddings and events and birthdays like always remind me of like the the deep bond that you have with those friends and the importance of of maintaining it even if it's a zoom call or a poker game or a football or whatever just like keep keep seeing each other and and yeah keep those friendships alive okay all right so uh the song of the week is morrissey hold on to your friends that's it for us from the feck and check-in episode 24 if you'd like to contact us it's feck and check-in at gmail.com at feck and check-in on facebook which i've uh, been active on uh, more recently didn't really post too much on it for a while but facebook is active again now and it's at feck and check-in on twitter as well if you'd like to contact us about anything um so that's going to do it for this episode to me any final words for the listener feck off listener a bond of trust